welcome to another episode of American Scouser Podcast. I am your host, as always, Timuchin, and we have our usual crew with Galley in action. Is it cold in that basement over there? What's going on? It's a little cold this, finally today in this basement. Believe it or not, it got to like 20 degrees here in Massachusetts today, and for the last week, it's been in like the 40s and 50s, and it's felt like spring. So uh, it's a little cold right now. Yeah, it's been weird. We were complaining during Christmas. It felt like like Halloween, like in terms of weather. Uh, we were like, oh, there's no snow. And yeah, uh, once you said that, it started pouring down, coming down in Chicago instantly and got cold. And Bickler, as always, with his hoodie. What's going on, Bickler? So you missed it because last week, my week started with the ex-wife backing in and smashing the back end of my car. Uh, and this week started with the landlord calling and saying that rent was being raised in March, $175 a month. So 2022 is off to a rip roaring start. Uh, starting with me probably looking for another job currently. Nice. What kind of a percentage are you talking? Is he like going away about inflation rates over here? Oh, he's going $175 more a month. Nice. On top. So yeah, I mean, it, to, to be fair to him, he started the conversation with Paul, you know, I'm your, that, that you're my favorite tenant. Uh, and then he proceeded with that. And I said, Scott, I'll do respect. One of those statements is not true. Um, and, but to be fair, it is still, it is still under, under market value. And I've been getting away with it for a number of years and I knew it was coming. Um, it just sucks. Wilmington, North Carolina is going through what the rest of the country is going through with the housing boom. Um, we have a lot of northerners moving down here uh, in like snapping up housing. And the flip side of that is like cash offers, housing prices are going through the roof. I've had a number of people I know who've turned around and like, you know, they were here, they've been here for years. So they went and sold their house just to make like triple what they made on it, but then turned around and can't find a house. Yeah. So now all or, or the prices are inflated for them too. And I'm like, yeah, dummy, that's what happens. Like you can't just. So anyway, now those people are running too. So it's just compounded the already huge shortage. Um, and yeah, everyone's got COVID too on top of it. So, you know, we're just all slowly dying. Speaking of COVID, just got my booster shot. So that should kick in a little bit over here with the arm pain. So you should be, hopefully we'll finish the podcast with no pain. But lucky for you, today's trivia winner gets a month's rent free. So if you nail it, oh it could be yours. No promises on that. Uh, see, uh, Gally is very. This is the most excited I've ever seen Gally about trivia because he. Yeah, really let me tell you. Is, he really thinks there's some kind of a reward. Very gullible. Um. Okay. So with Afghan coming up, I figured I would come up with an Afghan-related question for you guys today. <laughs> you see, you can never know where to study from. So Afghan, here we go. Dude, wait! I want to make a small tournament comment so bad. Never mind. Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, okay. no, please don't because, yeah, we already get enough hate, uh, hate mail in here. Uh, okay, so here we go for trivia. The top winning team for AFCON and as a tiebreaker, in case you guys get it right, is how many times did they win AFCON? <sighs> Bickler, I don't even have to say it, but we're starting with you. Rent is on the line, my friends. Go for oh, it. Oh man, I thought you were gonna ask me which country which, which country kind of felt the most, and then how many times did they win it by winning? Oh, so it is both okay. All right. And there's two 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 teams that are tied. 
No, I never said that. See that you do so, this, make the trivia more confusing than it really has to be, and then it ends up being my fault. Nope. Top performing team like, country since everybody team, calm down. Country. I'm not I'm not blaming anyone. <laughs> I'm just asking for clarification. Are we all good? I I, I I leave I miss one podcast and the whole thing is derailed already. Okay, go ahead. I gotta be honest, I'm just stalling because Cosgrove haven't entered the comment section yet. So <laughs> I'm just stalling for him to enter the chat. Uh <laughs> no, to, okay. So my guesses are Nigeria and the Ivory Coast. Uh, and I will say, this is ridiculous. I will say six times, although that seems high to me. Gally, what do you have? That was actually, this is how I came up with the question, because that would have been probably my guess right there as well, Dickler. What do you have, Gally? I <laughs> doesn't say it's true, by the way, but still, go ahead. Yeah, so I, it's I, obviously I, wrong. I, I was also planning to guess the Ivory Coast. And now that you say that would have been your guess. Uh, <laughs> and you know the answer. Uh, that's like when I someone will go with Mozambique. That's like when someone asks you a trivia question, like, you know, the Steelers won the Super Bowl four years in a row. How many times was Chuck Noll coach of the year? The answer is zero. Cause if it was one or two, it wouldn't be a very good trivia question. Would it? Um, so I will, I, I will just, I guess I'll I'll say like I don't even I wouldn't even know who else to guess other than the Ivory Coast. Um, I'm gonna say Senegal four times. Hmm. See, my guess was Nigeria originally, and then I thought of Ivory Coast because I remember having like great teams, and I remember using those teams in FIFA and stuff back in the day. Uh, the correct answer is Egypt. Ah. Would you believe it? Yes. Oh. And how many times? Seven times. Wow. In the history. They must have won a lot in like the early 1900s because that was like a colonized area for a while, I think, in the early 1900s. Uh, honestly, they have a bunch. Uh, they have won four, I think, like back to back to back or something like that when okay. I was like kind of looking at it. And that's where they kind of like racked it up. Actually, they have a couple of players that have been part of that group. And they have one like four back to back. I was gonna go with that question, but then I figured I would blame for making it too hard. So kind of went with this one. But yeah, they have one like four back to back to back. So we got that great fantasy out of the way. It's back. I'm back. You guys don't get the wrong answer, right answers. I noticed I missed one episode and somehow the answer is there right away. It's almost like you might you guys must have set it up before the pod even started or something. But here we go. Let's talk Liverpool a little bit, and then we'll come back to the other major fiasco of the the fantasy football world that I'm sure Bickler and I can rant on even more now because now with these freaking two-week games and all that kind of bullshit, it has only become more frustrating. But let's go with something else more frustrating. Gentlemen, looks like January came in early this year, and we dropped points back to back to back. We'll go back to in terms of, you know, what you guys think of our title chances are and stuff now, now that we've fallen behind this far back. But, Bickler, let me start with you. What is your thought on why this happens almost every year? Um, I mean, there are different reasons for it, I guess, for every year. But it is a common theme when we see this almost like what three four seasons in a row now it usually happens in january like i say it came in earlier this year but why do you think this keeps happening 
I really don't know if I had to, if I had to guess, my guess would be that it has to do with player fatigue and the fact that we favor a small squad and just don't rotate enough. And then like the legs catch up because it's always off the back of these like crowded, like holiday fixtures. So that's my guess, but I don't know with hundred percent certainty because there's a lot of, there's a lot of squads that are, that play small that don't rotate super heavily and, and nobody seems to have this, I mean, maybe it's not noticeable though. Like maybe they are in a similar run of form as we are, but because they're a smaller squad, they're a mid-table team. We just don't see it. Um, if I had to guess, I would I would think that it comes down to legs and fatigue. But I mean, I really don't know. What do you think, Allie? Uh, I I think there's there's definitely something to the the fatigue factor. There has to be right. So Paul's point about the smaller sides rotating more, you know, or, or having to not rotate, say the Burnleys and them. The difference though is, is they, in my opinion, they don't hold those high levels of 10, 15 matches where they go unbeaten with two draws or even win 12 on the spin. So when their truncated season happens, they drop some points too, but they drop them equally to what they drop in October and they drop in March just by being more of a mid-table side. I think part of it is the way that Jurgen plays. I think some of it's mental. And I don't mean it like we're weak, but I think when the manager goes to the podium and starts talking about the fixture pileup on December 15th and then talks about it every single day leading up to the holiday fest and fixtures, and then New Year's and Boxing Day comes and he rails about the game 72 hours apart, I think eventually – the players hear that and just they they don't down tools, but I think that it's a built-in kind of excuse. The manager tells them that we can't keep up with this pace and that allows you to just drop your level. And I think the one team that we never see a blip from is the team who uses this period to springboard their title charge every single year. And that's the team that does to Paul's point rotate better than anyone else in Europe, in my opinion, with a big squad and has more players than anyone else. And that's man city. And I think you see it. They, they, they've dropped something ridiculous, like two points in uh, January since Pep has been there. It's an unbelievable winning percentage. And it's the opposite of what happens to us. And I think it's what separates us from them over 38 games. So that's an interesting point. I mean, I don't know if it is because, Klopp goes out of his way to complain. I mean, he has traditionally complained about this, and I can understand why, especially it affects a team like us more. A, going back to Bickler's point, because, you know, Klopp likes working with a smaller squad, and B, our brand of football requires a more high-energy, non-stop going kind of thing, so obviously breaks are a bit more valuable to us. Do you think Bickler, like, is, is that part of it, or it's just that he's either being asked the question a lot more because he is usually more vocal about it. And, you know, we just hear it more. Maybe they're asking, I mean, I don't follow, you know, I follow our press conferences either, you know, either I'll watch it or I'll read the transcript or one way or the other. Uh, whereas I don't know what they ask Pep and stuff on a weekly basis. Maybe we just don't hear about it. Or do you really think, you know, club kind of goes out of his way to make sure he complains about this regularly? I mean, it would be very unlike the English media to find a hot spot and continually push it, right? I mean, I think it's I think it's very likely that they know you're getting Klopp's stance on it, and they know they're going to get a soundbite out of it, right? So, I mean, 
for me at this point, if I were Klopp, I would just move on and try to shut that down. Like, I think, I don't think it's beneficial to anybody. I think he just sounds like a squeaky wheel at this point. I don't think it does the team any good. I don't think it's helping his cause. Um, I mean, like let Tuchel and some of these other managers like complain about it for a little bit. I think that like, I mean, I get where he's coming from. I just don't think it's doing anybody any good. I think that the, the English media at this point has probably picked up on a, a pretty consistent narrative over the last three or four seasons and is is running with it. Um, and it's it's not it's not doing anybody any good. I think, I mean, let's talk a bit, bit about the week. I think, to me, out of all the results, the Leicester City one was probably the most frustrating. Not only because we had zero excuses when it comes to lineup, being tired, COVID, you name it. You know, there are reasons where, you know, we were missing players, but they were missing even more players. We had even fresher players. So there was literally zero excuse. Did that only because of that storyline that Leicester City was so shorthanded and this looked like it was going to be an easier game, at least on paper. Did that make it a trap game ultimately, Galley? I hate trap games because to me, like, we credit them when they win games that they get outplayed in and like the Wolves game, right? They were mentally tough all game long and the Wolves played a low block and Origi gets the late goal and, and they're mental giants when they win a game like that. And then it's a trap game because they didn't show up and got, you know, Mo Salah missed the penalty and then, you know, missed the header off the post. They hit another post with Jota in the first half. If those two things are six inches in either direction, we probably win that game three to one. Um, what does drive me crazy is the fact that they actually looked as if they were just going to laissez-faire their way to the win, even after the poor first half performance, which really frustrated me. Um and again, I'm just sick and tired of seeing individual errors and mental lapses by whomever is playing, you know, on the right-hand side of our defense, whether it's Matip, Kanate, Trent, someone not covering for one of them, a midfielder not tracking back. I can honestly tra basically track out every goal that's been scored against us in the last three, four weeks that has led to eight, nine points dropped, and they all seem like they come in between Trent and the center back not paying attention and just weak clearance after weak clearance. So for me, the Leicester game wasn't about a trap. They just didn't show up for the match. And I think that's what I mean when I say like a trap game, more of a – I mean, this is a team that plays its game based on – I mean, I don't know if aggression is the right word, but, you know, more about, you know, going 100%, you know, heavy metal football, whatever you want to call it. And when you kind of tone that a little bit, it automatically causes a huge drop-off. And going back to what Galli was saying, I do agree with this. I mean, if you're looking – if you're an opposition team and you're looking at Liverpool, what you want to exploit when you attack us is very clear. So, Victor, I come to you for this. I mean, is this going to be something that we're going to have to live with down the road? It's going to be always Trent's weakness because I think he does like, obviously, he plays more like a wing back that likes to push back. And it's part of our style as well. Or do you think he will get better over time? I keep waiting for the latter, but I just, 
just don't see it happening because I really think inside he just wants to keep pushing forward more. And he's more thinking about like attacking and scoring. I mean, we'll talk about this Chelsea game, but even the goal, the second goal we conceded there is more about constantly attacking than safety first. I think it's going to be interesting to see what history looks back at this team in this era and says about it in terms of the way that we view Trent, because there's, there's this constant debate and it's a continuous debate and we haven't really had any sort of resolution or, or, or firm landing on one side of the fence or the other. My, my personal feeling is that it's a weakness in the actual system itself. I think that we like Trent, depending on where the ball is inside the half spaces is determines where he's supposed to be. And, and, and most of the time he is supposed to be up in that final third as a fourth attacker, you know, now what that requires is obviously a lot of shifting uh, in the midfield, whether it's Fabinho drops back into a center back role and Matip slides over or Henderson tucks in that has to do with the position of the ball moving it. Well, it's a pretty complex system that a lot of people like to boil down to Trent didn't come back. And, and on, on honestly, that's that's the obvious and that's the easiest place to go in that. And that's usually not the correct answer. Um, is Trent capable of lapses defensively? Uh, of course he is. I think that Trent's – like for me, it has to do more with the fact that a lot of times he's, he's forced to make decisions – and plays on the ball when he's running towards his own goal, which I think is very hard for a defender to do, uh, more so than he's necessarily not coming back in time or caught out of positioning or loses a runner. I think that's more oftentimes when I see things like scuffed clearances and, and individual errors. Um, so I don't, I don't think, I don't think it has to do with that. I think this team, you know, going back to to the the two matches that we previously seen in the frustration of not getting result with Lester and the, the team not showing up. Um, I, I think it, there's, there's an interesting dichotomy that's happening with this team. We've got to remember when Klopp came into the club, we like the, the overwhelming sentiment is, is, is a squad that didn't know how to close a game out and win. It was a, it was a squad that didn't know how to come up and basically push it over the top. I mean, you'll remember the fourth game in, we got beat on an 82nd, like it was an 82nd minute goal versus Crystal Palace and our supporters left. And Klopp really went after people and were like, things happen between the 82nd and the 90th minute of the games. And we were still in a match. We can still win. Um, and there was this trying to get this collective mentality of the team that like it's a 90 minute game in points can be won or lost in 90 minutes. Right. And I think this team has won so many huge games since he's come on and basically shaped and molded the squad that we basically believe that we're mental giants. And I think that there is, I think that there's like almost like a casual arrogance sometimes that the goal is going to happen, that the goal is going to come, that it's going to be there. And I felt like that's how we played versus Leicester. Is like, oh, oh it's going to come. There's going to be a goal there. They're not really threatening us. And, and I think really like the moment that we missed that penalty in that match, the sort of ebb and flow of that game kind of turned on its head. Um, and we just – it just never happened. And it was just too casual on the day. Way, way too casual. 
And, and honestly, there isn't any excuses. Um, they switched from a back three, which we dominated, dominated that back three, and they switched and played a black back four versus us, which I think was – I don't think we were expecting that. Um, but they're playing with midfielders in the back line. There's just, there's just no excuse for it. We just weren't there. Uh, and that casual arrogance is, is concerning, man. I mean, you look at City, they've had 12 games where they had two goal leads. They've dropped zero points from those games. Our last, I mean, we've had five draws this season. That's 10 points. They all came from winning positions that we dropped. So, I mean, that's a big difference. I think that has been a big difference. Like we, and I know it's not the most exciting watch, but, you know, this team sometimes will get that lead, you know, be up by two and kind of play a little bit boring, right? You know, like kind of more control the ball, move around a bit more slowly than they were maybe not press as much. And, you know, we kept, I remember like the complaints at the time was like, oh, the goal differential, you know, we got to keep attacking and stuff like that. You know, City is beating people by five and stuff like that. And we've kind of like gone away from that. We almost like play every game at all times like it's tied. And, you know, before you know it, it is freaking tied because we give up goals because it feels like we kind of lose, we give the control of the game. And we let the other teams start to dictate what they're going to do. Uh, I mean, Galley, that game, I don't recall any decent performances overall. I mean, a few here and there. I thought, especially in the first half, Henderson was good. Anything that was positive, he was involved in. But when you look, it wasn't even like, oh, this guy was off his game. That guy was off his game. It just looked like the entire team was just not there mentally, kind of like what Dave Leslie was saying earlier in the comments. Yeah, it's almost like they just didn't show up. The entire squad didn't show up, which is crazy thinking that they had been given the extra time off with the Boxing Day and the holidays. They they weren't, you know, excuse me, ripped away from family to go play a, a shortened match on the road and travel and have a, you know, recovery day on Monday and Tuesday. You know, they basically had it prepared for them to have what should have been a pretty straightforward afternoon at the park. And I think what I come to is, is I have real concern about the defensive stability. And, you know, we talk about Trent, we've talked about, you know, Robo being a step off himself earlier in the year, right? All the playing guys on sides. Um, we talked about, you know, um, Kanate having some really – really class performances and just looking like he is just a step off of the speed and the pace of the league. And we've talked about Virgil really just kind of being a roller coaster of like some highs and lows. And for me, I feel that Jamie Carragher kind of hit something this weekend. And I know Liverpool fans are killing him for it because they get mad at him anytime he's critical. Um, but he's basically saying that they have to change a little bit of the high line that right now Virgil cannot make up for the high line that they're playing. And if you watch that goal, the Pulisic goal back, yes, Trent should head the ball out. And we'll get to specifically where I think his attack-minded approach hurt him as a fullback. Um, Henderson should track back. Matip can slide over. But if a healthy Virgil van Dijk sees Pulisic making that run, he he's already dropping back beyond Matip. And he's sliding over and he's cutting off that space. And instead, he runs in a straight line back to his own goal because he knows he has absolutely no chance. And he plays like the cut pass. And then Pulisic brings it on the inside. And to be fair to the kid, it was a great finish. 
It was class. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is something there to Virgil not being healthy enough to lead the defense that Jurgen is acting, asking him to tactically command. And it's scary. And I think it's where all these goals are leaking from. The Chelsea one was a weird one because not only is he suffering with just like his overall quickness and top end pace, but like it, Van, I don't know what was going on, but like it was almost like there's a game of telephone before before the match where like you whisper something to someone's ear and you pass it down. And like they started with Van Dyke and we're like, play the highest line you can possibly play. And then by the time it got to like cost us, it was like, don't play a high line. Like, like I, it was, it was crazy to me because like Van Dyke was so high up. I was like, dude, you're like, he basically was compromising the other three positions because he was so high up on the line. And like, you could see Kanate looking over like for real, dude, like, like, cause they were just basically threading it through the middle. They were just so they were, there was so much space in between them at all times. Yeah. They were yeah. moving and like, you could almost, you know, it's like, you know, remember when you were a kid, like when I first learned like spatial awareness, like I remember we had like a rope and we all had to like hold on to it at certain areas. So if the fullback went forward, he literally would like drag your ass forward. And it was like to get your mindset that you had to see where they went and offset each other. And like, if they had done that, we would have literally like one Kanate would take two steps and the whole planet would shift, but he would take a step and Virgil was going in the other direction. And I'm thinking to myself, like there were a couple times, I mean, when Kelleher makes the amazing save going down to, you know, knocks the ball off Pulisic's feet, that is once again, he just walked through the middle of two center backs. It was Kovacic mm -hmm. just rolling a ball right up the middle of the pitch like it was nothing. And, you know, we do that to people, right? And we commend Mo's pace and running off the edge. And we never talk about how their center backs aren't, you know, paying attention and all this. But ultimately, a lot of times their center backs are falling asleep, which is why our guys run roughshod up the middle, right? And Tiago picks them out with a peach. We can't have that because, to Paul's point, our fullbacks are told to go forward, and they're not the greatest defenders as it is. Our center backs have to be rocks, and Fabinho has to be on his game in front of them. And none of them were at their best against Chelsea. And I know we'll get deeper into that match. Um, but none of them were there. And I, I, I think it just, it, it speaks to a little bit of that. Um, I think there has to be a little bit more tactical flexibility at times with this side. And I think that it's something we've got to see in the second half, or we might be playing way too many three twos and that won't be good for the ticker in Chicago. I mean, we did this last week, right? And I think that's the scary thing is like we blamed it. Like we we did three – there was like three goals that ran through us in quick succession versus Leicester in the cup match, and we talked about them just splitting the center backs, right? And we blamed it on Gomez and Billy the Kid. Now the scary thing is, is this is Van Dyke and Kanate. So, I mean, it's obviously a system issue, not necessarily – I mean, obviously it didn't help with, with Gomez and Billy, but like – it's a bigger issue than personnel, and I think that's the that's the unsettling thing. And I mean, we should be fair. We are without our best center back, Nat Phillips. And if he was yes. here, all <laughs> things would be better because you can always play a high line when the fastest center back in the world is lined up on your side. When he could just drag his forehead over there. Yeah, if he gets <laughs> if he gets back if he gets back in time for January thirty first. He'll be able to go introduce himself to the new, he'll be able to meet his new landlord, Paul, at whatever yes. city he's moving into. 
I might be with him. Yeah. So let's go to this Chelsea game. I, I kind of wanted to start with the Leicester game mainly because I felt it's made because of the lost points there. It's made Chelsea a must win. I think it would be win the Leicester game. I'm okay with the result that came out of the Chelsea game because I feel like City will have a tough time there, you know, tough time with Chelsea as well. I mean, they did obviously the first time, but it's made it a must win. So we start the game with that. So let's start with the beginning of the game where Mane goes for the fastest red card of all time. So let's start with the galley. Is that a red card? Blah. It's, it's, it is, it's as orange as they can be. If, if he had shown red, if he had shown red immediately, I don't think we could say anything because I don't want to hear anything else. If that was Mason Mount to Andy Robertson on the opening kick of the game, we are screaming off, 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 off as soon as it goes to bar. He looks at him, his elbow goes out. You also take into account who the player is, things he's done in the past, and unfortunately he holds a rap of a guy who can be petulant. And it looked like he could be like he was leaving one on him. I was fine with him getting a yellow and not being sent off. I do believe in the 40th minute. I'll agree with Lee Dixon. In the 40th minute, the VAR official sends him off. 10 seconds into the Premier League's match of the weekend on their first weekend on USA. I know it sounds stupid, but the VAR official is not making himself that much of the story. But in the 40th minute, I think Sadio Mane walks. Hmm, That's an interesting thing. I mean, I'm personally kind of not a huge fan of this. Uh, Any incidental head contact suddenly become something being like viewed as intentional i mean i don't know when this started and maybe because you know you know how many times i've been freaking slapped by like freaking forwards like bickler you know as a shorter center back trying to go out for an air yeah like elbows you know all kinds of stuff and man we don't i mean you didn't even get a yellow leave on a red for that stuff it was part of the game and i know you know it's being monitored a lot more closely and head injuries and all that kind of stuff i feel like you know it is going in a direction that I just do not like as much because everything becomes, you know, oh, is it intentional? doesn't matter if it's intentional, made contact with the head, blah, blah, blah. But having said that, I mean, to me, that's why it wasn't a red card. But with the new rules, I could have seen it being a red card and it would be hard to argue. What do you say, Bickler? I think you're much more likely to get hurt or concussed by just doing what Jota does every match and in trying to head a rocket, right? <laughs> like to me, like, so here's the difference. And I agree with Galley. I think that if that, I think if that had happened 15 minutes later in that match, it could have been a red. I think it was because it was so early and such a huge match that, I mean, those refs know that this is a, 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 a potentially title changing match and they're not good. They're not going to make that call that early in the match. For me, it's a yellow, and I'll tell you why. Because for me, with elbows of any sort, like for it to be a red, I have to see some kind of wind up. And he went, he caught him with the elbow for sure. Did he see him? I think he probably saw him. And it was, it was a bad one. It was a bad one. But for me to have a red, there has to be some kind of like the arm has to go this way first before it goes that way. Like even if it's a little bit, I want to see some sort of like 
wind up. You know what I mean? Like there has to be some sort of like conscious motion that like of the elbow going into the head. To me, it was his elbow was out, but there's two bodies coming together. And let's it's a it's a contact sport. It's a physical contact sport. And we we can't we've got to do these things where we protect players without without damaging the actual construct of the game. And I think the NFL is, is a good example of that. Like we've made rules in the NFL that have diminished the actual product um, because we want player safety in what essentially is a gladiator sport. Like, and I think it's a different, it's a different game entirely, but the concept is still very real. Like you can have player safety without like, without bringing the game down in, in the way that it's like presented to people. And for me, that's a yellow. I think that's that. That's my biggest issue. If uh, you, there's a difference between like when I was talking about like you know getting like hit and stuff like that as you play. There are some dudes you play against. You're like, man, this guy is gonna be using his arms left and right. You know what I mean? Like kind of like yeah. plays around, like flapping his arms all over the place. Gonna have to watch for that. And there are guys that you can kind of tell when it is intentional because you do get that wind up or you almost see the guy looking at where the other player is coming from so he can kind of position himself yeah. and the elbow accordingly and i just did not see that so i felt it was a yellow too but i agree with galley i think it was against us so let's go back to the other one because that was mason mount mm -hmm. correct yep. where he's doing his you know cristiano ronaldo impression and kind of like i mean that foot was not a natural way of lifting his foot so let's talk about that one real quick start with that one bickler is that a yellow? Because the first one is a yellow. If that one happened idle, would that be a red? Or I don't think he even got anything, did he? I, I think the I think the answer to that is it's yellow because the other one was a yellow. Like in my opinion, I don't. I mean, you could probably slow that down and, and justify a red if you wanted to. I just don't. I don't want the game to get there. Um, I think if he, I, I didn't. There wasn't enough in it for me. If he comes down and plants his foot, you know, on, on him, then it's a clear red. But like to me, there just wasn't enough there. You, Galley? Yeah, I think Arlo White wanted there to be more excitement in the match, so he called for the kickout. I swear to God, they went to VAR because Arlo White was like, "I think I saw a kick out there." And then, like minutes later, they're like, "We're gonna go to VAR here," and they're like, "No, no, no." But he doesn't make contact. I, he lashes out. I mean, he's frustrated. I think. Is it Schmikas? Is that who was down there? I think he is yeah. kind of hanging on to his leg. And let's be honest, yes, he has those, you know, longing, dopey eyes that make you just think, like, this kid's just staring off. He's got a little shithousery in his game. Costas uh, has got a little bit of under your skin. Like, you know, he doesn't – he stays up late at night thinking about ways to get under your skin, and then he comes in with the bags under his eyes. I mean, because you can almost see it, and – that's a good thing, right? We like guys like that. Andy Robertson gets under people's skin. I think Mount, he had a little bit of his leg. Mount kicked out a little bit to get out of it. Paul's right. If his studs rake across him, if he gets his arm, he probably gets sent off because he does lash out and the ref sees it. But there's nothing, there's no contact there. And I just, I don't want guys getting sent off. It's the same thing. I didn't think Pulisic should get sent off for the tackle that he made. That might have been the worst of all the tackles in the first half. The yellow card on, on Christian Pulisic that didn't get reviewed. 
because he lunges in kind of like Harry Kane does, and his foot comes up and goes up, he gets the ball, and then he catches the upper leg. But I don't think that's a red card. You know, like, I just think that this is where the game is. To the point about the windup, I will say this. You're absolutely right. The one that always comes to mind is Zlatan almost literally taking Tyrone Mings's head off when he played for Bournemouth and Zlatan played for United on the corner. He literally sizes him up, pulls his shoulder back, and then clears him out as he as he heads the ball. He hits a violent and, – and to their credit, there wasn't even VAR then. And they just gave him the straight red immediately because they saw it. And I think, again, my whole problem with all of this is, is I think these guys hide behind VAR. And I, I genuinely think they call penalties and they don't call penalties. Do you hear them commending the guy in the city game for not calling the penalty? And by not calling the penalty, it allowed to go to VAR so that they could see the Jaka pull of the shirt and therefore let it be a penalty. So they're commending this match official for not doing your job on the field. He waved to the guy to get up because he thought it was a dive. If he was doing his job, he would have gave the guy a yellow card because he thought he simulated and went down and cheated. Like, and that's my problem. They hide behind this ability to re-referee the game when all we wanted them was to correct their own mistakes. And, you know, for that, it's got to be yellow. It should be nothing on mount. Like, let the game stay as it is until there's a glaring, huge mistake and then fix it. I think it has become kind of similar to the offside flag. Like, don't raise it till it's obvious, but then not even raise it when it is obvious. It's like, what is going on? Just start the freaking game. If something falls down the cracks, we'll catch it with VAR. But I think, you know, because there is VAR, they were like, we'll leave cracks all over the place. You guys can come in and, like, fill them in if needed, kind of is what it's come down to. But VAR is a discussion for another day. Let's go back to our boys. So we take the lead in that game, and I honestly thought, I remember like my, you know, like Angie was walking by and she's like, she sees the score, and I was like, we're kind of, we're not playing that good. And I thought, at that point, I was really thinking, you know, we're up to, despite not playing well, and I thought Chelsea was playing better overall, and I'm like, we might be able to get away with one. And obviously, it didn't turn out that way. Um, what do you make of like giving that lead back? I know we, we kind of like touched on it briefly in terms of like, you know, getting these professional wins and like, you know, closing out games and stuff. But I mean, it felt like a just score at the end of the day and would not be surprised if Chelsea got one out of their pressure towards the end of the game. Uh, what do you think, Bickler, for that score? Well, as superstitious as you are, and Angie walks by and you say, we're not playing well, in my head, I imagine Stitch just glaring at you like, what are you doing? Well, I just like this fucking golden retriever no, jowls. At that point, Stitch is like, I don't give a damn. Just I'm as, playing. I already got my snacks is what he's saying. Just this jowls glistening going, are we, is this being that we're not getting more snacks? Right. No. no, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that those goals were largely against the run of play. And that's not to say they weren't deserved, right? Because that's football. I mean, that first half was the complete opposite when Gally and I talked about it, what I thought we'd see. I thought we'd see a pretty defensive, physically cagey game, which is what we got in the second half. Um, the first half was just a continuation of the, the Leicester chaos, which would have been perfect for Nabby. Um, I don't ever love Milner and Henderson in the same midfield. 
Um, grabbing the two goal lead back, I think has a lot to, I mean, let's commend Chelsea, right? When that second goal went in, I was looking for heads to be down. I was looking for like, all right, let's fucking just weed this thing out and, and go home with three points. But if you look at the reaction, like Mendy's like clapping in like no heads dropped. Like, I mean, it is the opposite of what you see with Manchester United every week. Like they were like, they were down two. they're like, 45 minutes still to play at least. You know what I mean? Like they still had like, they knew that they had 65 minutes to get two goals back. They knew they weren't being outplayed and they just, they just, I mean, it's a team full of winners. They're champions league winners. They, they, they're a good football team and, and they know it. Um, and they kept their heads and they, they got back in it and they deserved it. And man, like, I think anyone that, Things that we didn't deserve a draw in that match or worse didn't really watch. There's not being honest with themselves because if you look at the last 20 minutes of that game, we were hanging on for dear life. Um, and I mean, I, I'm a broken record, but I, I really do think that we only we only have one gear. We only know how to play one way, um, and that's concerning to me. If you look at our title winning side. Did you ever feel nervous about a two goal lead? Because I didn't, we were no. so solid. The back line was so solid and we knew how to just, we knew how we were still attacking, but we mitigated risk. And I don't feel like this side mitigates risk at all. And that's, what's terrifying to me. Two goals, three goals. We're always a big play away from letting somebody back in it, at least from a momentum standpoint. So that's a good question. So let's look at what has changed. Cause obviously, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, Van Dyke has changed, right? It's not the same Van Dyke. Where I mean, that was part of that comfort zone. Even a guy like me who lives on the edge as I watch games, a two-goal lead in that season was a bit more comforting. You know, I could lean back a little bit, not fully, but at least a little bit. I mean, that has changed. That was partially because of the Van Dyke factor, and because of like what we talked about previously in terms of how we kind of played more professional and it kind of like yes drove me nuts that we didn't push further and extend the lead but it was more comforting in terms of like no we got this under control it's going to be a boring 30 minutes but we're going to close out this game aside from that van dyke and that line that we talked about galley i mean is it a mindset change is it the midfield change because darren is talking about and i I have hate to say it, but I think I actually mentioned it in the Discord channel when that foul happened because it was a stupid foul to get away. He was going nowhere. All he had to do, he had help with, I think Costas was there. He had help. All he had to do was close the line, and then if he cuts back in, Costas was there. Instead, he almost like tries to cover the cuts back and the line, and obviously he doesn't have the speed, so when the guy tries to take the line... Milner has to bring him down. Stupid foul to give away. And it never fails. Whenever you give away something stupid like that, it comes to bite you in the ass. But is it the midfield galley that's not really controlling that game? I know we talked about a defensive line not being as reliable or sturdy, if you will. But it, we know that that line depends a lot on – that high line depends a lot on how much pressure the midfield puts on the ball. And we just did not have any pressure on it. Yeah, I mean, one, each player is two years older. And I don't want to go into the FSG out people, but we're still trotting out the same best 11 that we trotted out in our championship winning side, except for 
you know, we've replaced Tiago with with Genie with Tiago, right? And Jota maybe with Bobby. That's the only difference. It's the same team. And 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 a big piece that we don't talk about, right? A healthy Joe Gomez, in my opinion, was the best partner we've seen Virgil play next to for a extended long run of time. A prime in at high form, healthy young Joe Gomez. And I think he actually made up for a lot of Trent's deficiencies with his speed because you had this guy with equal speed on both sides covering for both of their, um, you know, attack minded fullbacks. The other piece, obviously we've talked enough about Jeannie on this podcast for him to have his own segment to every podcast. It feels like Um, Jeannie played a big role in what we did. And Bobby was our, you know, the start of our defense from the number nine position. And I think the team changes when Bobby's not in it. And I think it actually weakens the entire spine. It makes Fabinho do more work. It makes midfielders do more. There's one less body dropping back deeper. Uh, And I think that has something to do with it. The other part is, is, you know, I said it, I think I said it. I would have loved to have seen Keita start against Chelsea because with a two goal lead, I would have liked to know James Milner was coming in to help see out the game. And I think when you start with James Milner, you don't have a player on your bench that's going to come in and settle your midfield. You didn't have a player on your bench that could come in and make an impact on the game, to be totally honest. And that was another reason I, you know, I think, you know, maybe they were trying to hang on Ox as that type of a player. Um, But, you know, we need these guys to come back. I know before we wrap up, I'm sure we'll get to who we think might play tomorrow, you know, but, or Thursday, but I just, I think that, there is something to be said for we all said we had a, a much deeper team than we thought and that you had to sell players to buy players and Klopp didn't want a bigger squad. And it's all fine and dandy if you don't have four guys out with COVID and another five guys out with injury. But once that happens, then your two best players, you know, head off to some tournament. You know, we won't call it little, but it's something small on a big continent. You guys are uh, asking for it. Jesus. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, if 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 you think about it, though, it, it I this is going to be a tricky, tricky, tricky five to seven fixtures that we're going to play in the next four to five weeks, and it's it's going to be really interesting. Um, and it probably means I'm going to stay off social media, which probably is good for my uh, getting work done throughout the day, and probably good for my sanity. Which, going back to Bobby, by the way, and I know, you know, obviously he couldn't play against Chelsea, but I thought it was a mistake not to have him against Leicester. A guy who can cause problems to actual center backs by pulling them out of, you know, their position would have had a field day with midfielders playing there and people who are not regularly playing there. And not to play him, I thought was a mistake. I don't know, obviously, you know, Nobody knew he was going to have COVID and not play against Chelsea. But I thought you look at the matchup when you have somebody like Bobby who can give fits to, you know, regular center backs. He would have had a field day there and opened a lot of spaces for the other guys. I actually would rather have had Bobby out there and with Jota if you have to, to be able to kind of like, you know, just attack him. It was a Leicester that was almost down. But so since you started the cup talk, let's go to that now uh we'll talk about our like title chances and stuff like that probably on other podcasts i don't want to 
set up the gloom uh, theories yet. I think there's still time, but obviously we're chasing somebody that doesn't stumble a lot. So, having said that, Baker, does that give more importance to these next three games? We play all cup games, so against Arsenal with Shrewsbury in the middle. And if it does, how do you approach them if you're club or if you're the man in charge? Which, you know, is a scary thought, but let's go with it. I mean, yeah, it does, because I think we could, you know, if we win, I mean, if we win two domestic cups and are in the running for a Champions League place in the final, that's a successful season, no matter what happens in the league, in my opinion. So massively important. Uh, I think there's got to be severe importance placed on the semifinal. I expect their strongest 11 for that game. Traditionally, despite common opinion, that is what Klopp will do and has done. Last time we were in a semifinal, I think it was like the second year he was here, he fielded a very, very strong team over two years. Um, so I expect that to happen. The best part about the Arsenal thing is it's a two-leg it's a two leg situation because like, honestly, I think that we're catching Arsenal at the absolutely worst possible moment. We could, they're on the back of like, they scored like 12 goals in the last like four games. Granted they've had like Leeds, Norwich, like it's been bad opponents. Right. But they played city really tough. Yep. But they're, they're a team that's on the up in pretty good form, finding their feet, loads of confidence, Lots of good young players. Arteta seems to be getting the lineup right finally. He fucked up Alabama Yang finally. Jaka is our only hope of getting a straight red within 15 minutes. Let's hope that happens. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't love catching Arsenal right now. I think they're in really good form. So I'm happy it's a two-leg thing. Um, but I expect, a, I expect a strong 11 versus them. And that's the problem, I think, Gally. It's kind of hard to predict an 11 because we don't know who's sick, who's healthy, Can't. who can play. I mean, it kind of like changes on the fly. But, I mean, you would think we would play who we can, like almost treat the Arsenal games like a Premier League game and the Shrewsbury like a League Cup game, correct? I, I think you're going to see the same starting 11. I mean, obviously, Mo and Mane won't be there. But I think you're going to see the same starting 11 that started against Chelsea. With probably Ox on one wing and either a kid or, you know, there's hope they said that Taki might be able to play or Rigi might be fit for the match. If one of them could play, I think they'd start if they could. could. Um, or maybe it's like a Gordon, you know, because they already ruled out the three players. They already ruled out Matip, Allison, and Bobby. They ruled out Tiago. Uh, and I believe they ruled out one other player um you know do you do you expect uh robo to come back in seeing that he can play right because he he can yeah. come back for this match so figure maybe robo plays on the left trend on the right you start uh you know canate and gomez i guess and you know i do think you got to give maybe you start virgil but I, I wouldn't mind giving him a day off and let him recharge the batteries, but maybe you do start him with Kanate midfield. I think you're probably looking at Fab Hendo and somebody um, Jones, maybe. This is probably you're right. This is probably Jones's spot unless Jones takes that spot on one of the wings, and and um, you want Ox in the midfield. I like Jones when when Jones is playing. 
he, in my mind, is only thinking about going forward anyways. Like every moment he's thinking about scoring a world-class goal. And I kind of like that about him until he turns the ball over in a bad spot. And then I watch the ball go in the other end. And that always frustrates me because then I read everyone telling me how great he was today. And then they leave out the time he turned it over and it led to a goal. Um, but I, I, I could see him up there at this point. You know, I, I, I don't know. But I'm with Paul. I think the fact that it's a two-leg tie, hopefully by the second leg, you know, you have Allison, you have Bobby, you have Matip back. You know, it's going to be a weird one on Thursday. It will be a weird one. I mean, the, I think these next three games, it will be more exciting to kind of see what that lineup ends up being because there are so many question marks. And we don't even know if there's going to be more added to it, unfortunately. And we don't know what's going to happen to Arsenal either. The stuff is going around and stuff. So, yeah, unfortunately, like I said in the beginning, January did come early and this year apart from Bickler's rent rates has kind of like started as a shit show and then I go to fantasy and it's only freaking worse so I am sad to report Kelly is no longer number one are you secretly like laughing and celebrating do you have like a little closet you go into where you party galley that she's no I gotta be honest I helped her on Friday or the night but that's why she's not number one anymore it is. It's probably her fault why she spiraled downwards. Um, she made a couple moves and asked me when the double games got released if it would make sense to make a couple more to get guys who were playing twice. And I was like, well, it would if you make good moves. And then she did. And they didn't work out to, uh, to her likings very much. But, you know, again, this is a long season. And uh, there are going to be some volatile game weeks coming in the next few weeks with all these matches that are going to get played and people using different chips and things. So let's see what happens come April. I still expect her to be somewhere near the top. And my goal is to still be one point ahead of her, which won't happen. Well, I mean, that's the only good news. She's still ahead of you by 21 points, but she's dropped to three. And Dan Bennett is number one now and polish mike michael romantowski had a huge week well i don't know the 50s i think huge right about now and he's in second place we have to scroll all the way down bickler to see where the hell we're at and you are right about me 49th uh with 44 points eh? damn man impressive 1178 nine points behind you is me how much do you hate this crap now that's they have thrown yet another curveball with these two-week stuff and all that kind of stuff. I hate it, and I have two free hits, and I don't know what – like, I'm scared to use them. Like, I, it's just like – You have two free hits? It, yeah, I haven't used any of them. Must be nice. I just – I don't – I've, I've, I've got an excellent transfer lined up, though. Man, I freed up some money. I'm ready to go. I'm going to save the surprise because it's a doozy. I'm ready for it. But – uh I, I'm so sick of this bullshit, man. I cannot wait for it to be over. Like, I'm ready for the season to be over just for fantasy to be done. Because, like, uh, like I'm like, okay, 8.30 is the deadline, right? 8.30 is the deadline. Get everything locked in. 9.15 rolls around. Here comes the COVID stuff. I'm like, oh, great. We can just push the fucking deadline for the week a little bit. Like, oh, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I don't like right when it was. You're like you're like sitting here trying to figure out who's been hanging out with Kyle Walker. Like, I mean, you're like, well, I will say this: how cool, how cool is Joel Matip to know that he was invited to the Brazilian Christmas party? Yeah, really? like how cool 
is Joel Matip. Like when they were like, there's two guys down. They were like, oh, it's three guys. And Allison and Bobby weren't there. I was like, then we're going to find out. It's like Pitahulia or whatever. You know, they had the young, they had the 19 year old keeper (laughs) over. Bobby's setting him up with his younger sister or something. No, it's Matip. And you're like, and you're thinking to yourself, like, all I can imagine is like Bobby with them big chompers, like sitting at a table, like doing a Yankee swap, like getting irritated about some gift he had to give back. And Allison's making jokes and Matip's handing out t-shirts with pictures of himself on it to like people. And they're talking Portuguese and no one can understand him. And they're like, and he's talking English. You know what I picture? You know, like, you know, when you're like driving and you're like a kid and you're like, you're driving to high school and you got that one friend that's always fucking like not in a seatbelt. And he's in the middle console between the two people in the front seat talking and like super loud in your ear. Like I picture that's like Matip in the car with them, but like doing fun facts and shit. And they're like, dude, (laughs) (laughs) he's an awesome character. I hope he never leaves. And honestly, (laughs) he probably has been our best center back. I, I recall maybe one or two off games. I think overall, and in some games, he's been our best attacking player with his, like, runs. And one of those is going to be, like, a Diego Maradona type of goal. It's going to come off one day. It's going to be everyone. If, just, like, if, and when, if and when he takes it 75 yards and just unleashes on, like, a swivel spin and just goes top bin, it is going to be – it will be one of those worldly goals. And the best part will be the look on his face as he celebrates because – the the other 10 players on the field will actually be having more fun during the celebration. I think than he will like, I, I he has that personality that it looks like he is a guy that every single man on the team is like, I love this man. I will always love this man. 20 years from now, you will ask me who my favorite teammate was that no one would guess. And they'll all say like, Oh, that time when I played with Joel Matip at Liverpool. Kind of like what we say about Bickler, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 No, we never say that shit. Uh, Okay. So let's take some quick predictions there, Bickler. Apart from your rant going up, what do you predict is going to happen this week? (laughs) Score Uh, what do you see happening against Arsenal and Shrewsbury? Dude, like, you guys are not going to like this. I'm not going to be popular. I think we're going to beat, I think we're going to beat 3 1 by Arsenal. Hmm. Okay. How about the weekend? Shrewsbury? Oh, Jesus. We better, like, I mean, <clears throat> I'll go 3 nothing. We win that one. Gally, what do you have? Uh, I, too, am not uh, overly confident. Uh, I would probably say, uh, I- I'll say we can eke out a draw in the Arsenal match 1-1 because I still think that Arsenal has mistakes in them across the entire pitch and they show it like they did against City. They outplayed them for 90 minutes, but for two of them, they capitulated and gave the game away by taking a silly red and two goals uh, or a goal and a red. And they'll be without their best defender in Gabrielle for that match because of the red. So for that, I'll say we get at Ben White. Let's go 1-1 on the home leg or 1-1 at the uh, Emirates, and I'll say we go 4-0 against Shrewsbury, but it won't be easy. And I know it sounds silly because I think it's going to be a slug of an awfully ugly game, and I think we hate those types of matches, but eventually we'll just have too much for them, too much too late. 
See, maybe it's the booster shot that I just took, but there's some kind of an optimism in me. I feel like that. Oh no! Up. Yeah, it must be the booster shot. It is what it is, but we'll find out. So, or we just first, really first, back first, first side effect of COVID. That sounds good. <laughs> first, the CDC ignored AIDS for 15 years, and then they created the side effect of optimism. Ridiculous. It's me. I, uh, I say we win this one. Actually, I say we win three one. And I'm expecting a much better midfield, and that's all it's going to take. Whoever is up front is not going to matter as much. Uh, because Gabriel being out is a big part of it. And I'm sure I predict like a 4-1 or something. But like you're saying, Gally, I think it's going to take a while before we get that first goal. And then once we get the first goal, obviously the rest is going to come easier. And then they squeak one in, in the last minutes where we kind of already lost concentration. But it's optimism time, people. Let's do this. People are already giving up the league and everything else. So I'm trying to counter it by going totally against my grain. It must be the booster shot. So we should end this podcast ASAP before something else happens. Well, gentlemen, thanks a lot as always. And to all those listening, commenting, do the usual like, share, all that kind of stuff that does gets done online. And we will see you guys. I will not be here next Monday. So these two guys are going to be in charge again. So I'm guessing they will get to trivia right somehow and all that kind of stuff but uh i'll be out in california while these guys are here next monday and then next week we will also be starting our thursday podcast so hopefully we'll be able to cover one game at a time and a bunch of new segments coming up for that as well a lot of our contributors so some good stuff happening this year aside from pickler's rats going off well thanks a lot everybody and see you guys next week